well, welcome to Geezers of the Game. This is our live broadcast, our very first, uh, specifically about Star Wars and the role-playing extravaganza that is Star Wars. Um, I'm Ryan. I'm Mark. Nathan. We're glad that everybody could join us. So, uh, yeah, so why don't we get right on started? Um, I know one of the first things that we were talking about is uh, the familiarity of using that setting about, uh, what did I say? It's familiarity of the setting. It's so much easier to bring it, characters into something that you don't have to explain. You don't have to say, well, my world is different. Yeah. <laughs> you could just say so there's a there, There's an importance to making sure that everyone in your gaming group really understands what the universe is that you're playing in. Now, if you're starting with a gaming group that you don't have a tremendous amount of history with, you can't just jump straight into a homebrew and expect everyone to be on the same page. But if you choose a setting that is familiar to everyone, like a Star Wars universe, a Star Trek universe, uh, Lord of the Rings, whatever it is that your gaming group enjoys, if you have established cinema and you're working with that, then it's easy to put everyone on the same page, you think. We're going to be going over tonight some of the things that can become pitfalls. Uh, communication is hugely important between a game master and players, especially if you're in a universe where you're going to use multiple game masters or rotating game masters. So we're going to look at a few of the pitfalls, some of the glory and some of the guts that come with using a scene like Star Wars. So go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what, uh, I mean, one of the things that we were talking about is the epic feel. So let's talk about that. Um, now we've all played in Star Wars many times and uh, how many times have we actually done an epic feel? <laughs> I think we've probably tried it uh, several dozen times and it really worked. Um, there were probably a few examples if we were to go back and look at all the different games that we played where it worked really well. Um, I can think of one that Mark and I did. It was uh, a solo game and it, it fell together really, really well. Um, but the more people you add in, the uh, the harder it is. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, balancing that power level when you have, you know, this character's a Jedi and he's kind of the Luke Skywalker or the Chosen One or, or whatever it is. Um, pretty soon he'll shoot right past everybody else in the group. And if you don't balance it carefully, um, they may become um, kind of obsolete. Pretty quick. That's not to say that you can't use characters of differing power levels. Uh, it can actually work out quite well. You see it a lot in cinema, whether it be in Star Wars or in, in other ones. Um, C-3PO and Luke Skywalker are not operating at the same power level, uh, but it does work out in cinema. So there's a trick to it. There's a method to be able to put together adventures that it will include the different power level characters and still be interesting to the players. But part of what it requires is careful construction of your player characters, careful construction of your plot lines. Not everything can be solved with a hammer. Sometimes it just takes a different approach. If Luke Skywalker can't speak six million languages plus, then he's going to have a hard time uh, getting through some obstacles that C-3PO would find quite easy. Um, you do have to have those different people. So uh, one of the things that you see is in the movies, Star Wars is huge. It's these gigantic events happening. Planets are being blown up. Um, you know, the universe secrets are being unfolded in front of you. But in the cartoons, 
particularly. And we've had some excellent cartoons coming out recently, ones like Rebels. Um, there's one that's running right now, Bad Batch, that it seems like they're doing a good job with it. Um, but when you look at those kinds of stories, they have to be done as episodes. It's not a feature length kind of a concept. It has to be very episodic, but the beauty of an episodic setting is the development that can take place. Ezra Bridger at the beginning of Rebels was pathetic. He was good at jumping, and I think that he had some obnoxious qualities that were worthwhile, uh, but beyond that, really had very little character depth. But the weaknesses of that character that were brought out as time went by gave him flavor. The fact that he lost his family, uh, the method by which he lost his family, how he built the relationships uh, aboard the ship uh, with the rest of the crew of the ghost. So those kinds of qualities turned into a very good storyline. Now, he went from being the weakest person on the ship to really being the hero at the end of that series there. Uh, spoiler alerts. Um, but <laughs> I hope but everybody they, yeah. watched it. <laughs> yeah, if you, if, you, if you haven't watched it yet, go watch it. It's an excellent show. But we're not going to worry too much about spoilers. Um, but yeah, that, that's if you're watching Bad Batch. You're already kind of uh, getting some spoilers there. Right. Yeah, uh, and 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 all of them because they're they're set at all different time periods and they reference each other a lot. Um, Which actually, that's really the next stage of this is talking about that because you're talking about the episodic, the the epic scale which is true about most things but star wars really has both right well and, and i think sorry i think that the, the the rebels show does a really good job of um being episodic and then building to where it had um sort of an epic conclusion um yeah maybe not and as it also much. introduced epic characters as a side type deal right with darth vader and well, and, and yeah, you see a lot of that in the Clone Wars cartoon as well, where um, for me, a lot of the more interesting ones are the ones that are about the clones or about some other side characters, bounty hunters, things like that. I found I personally found the Jedi ones less interesting um, for a variety of reasons, I suppose. But um, what which which ones were you thinking of the Clone Wars? Yeah. That's been a couple of years since I've I mean, seen not that it. This I, is a conversation about, <laughs> about, about those, Wars. but I, I actually <laughs> I actually found Clone Wars harder to get connected to than I did with Rebels. Rebels I connected right away. Um, but Clone Wars, it really took the second season before I got connected yeah. to it. Yeah, the first season was not great. Um, and then each season got a little bit better. Um but yeah, I, I, I would say it's it's a difficult proposition to say, okay, our main characters are going to be clones. And so even though they had some individuality, they're pretty much all the same. And then the Jedi characters who we already know what's going to happen to them. And we already know that Anakin is going to turn evil and Obi-Wan is just going to be Obi-Wan. And so there's a lot of it's already written. And so it's it's kind of a it, it, it was a challenging thing to do and i think uh especially getting into the second and third season and so on they started to really pull it off um as well as they could but it it was kind of a difficult proposition in my mind 
I think it's worthwhile to make a note on why it is people are drawn to playing Star Wars. Uh, one of the things that Star Wars had that cinema didn't have when it first came out was space that a space setting that felt lived in and worked in. Right. Yeah. So when you show up in Star Wars, you don't feel like, well, I have to follow this specific plot. You feel like, hey, I could go anywhere. And when I show up there, I'll be received. In uh, the second movie they made, Empire Strikes Back, the there's a scene where the Millennium Falcon's broken again. Um, and they start looking around to try and figure out where, okay, where are we? Okay, we're in the NOAA system. Well, there's not a lot there. Well, wait, this is interesting. Here's this guy, Han, uh, Lando. And I just tried to call Lando Calrissian Hondo. Hondo was hilarious too. Hondo is character. hilarious, but that is I think not he Lando. pretended to be Lando at one point in time. Anyway, uh, but they found, they found Lando Calrissian. So he was able to reconnect with an old friend because he just happened to be in the neighborhood. Star Wars has a very I'm in the neighborhood kind of feel to it. Now, uh, Nathan had touched on his, uh, he, he doesn't feel particularly interested in the Jedi theme, whereas he was more interested in like the clones or the, uh, the, the other side characters and so forth. That's the beauty of, that's one of the beauties of the Star Wars universe is it has such a feeling of, you know, I don't like living in this area, I can move over here. I don't like performing this task. I can go get a job doing something else, right? So uh, Nathan had touched on one of the games that we had played that had been a successful game. Now, it was a unique situation because what we were doing, at the time we were doing a lot of gaming, uh, it was more of a one-on-one -on -one style game, but we ran two separate Star Wars games that were unrelated to each other uh, at the same time. So there was a character with one storyline going on in this time period, character and another storyline going on in a prior time period and we ran a lot of it as a kind of a sandbox style game uh, there was very little direction about what had to happen this adventure but we fed off of the little points that came up so that something would get established in the earlier game and then be mentioned in a different context in the later game at another adventure and because the two of us were playing regularly enough and it had that sandbox feel to it the plots eventually merged together so what had been a very episode episodic style of game ended up at the conclusion of it with this tremendously uh space opera grand conclusion where these two timelines tied each other together so it was one of the advantages of using a sandbox campaign is that you can pull information if you don't have all the plot already written out listen to the characters you know, take their little cues that they give you, and you can turn those into a pretty fantastic storyline just by being patient with it. Now, the episodic games sound like they're not going to be as grand, but because of the character development that's able to happen, and because you, if you do play it enough times, you get these established non-player characters, you know, you get the, the interaction between the player characters that has been going on long enough. Um, and as a game master, if you're paying good attention, you can pick up on the little requests that they're saying. Well, you know, Nathan doesn't really seem like he's into this Jedi thing. Maybe I should move his Jedi into another neighborhood and give him some things to do that don't involve galactic politics. What about canon as far as the uh, Star Wars canon? If you're going to be using canon, you, you allow for the freedom to be able to move in different directions. Uh, what do you guys think about the use of established characters in a gaming setting? Okay, first I want to say this because we've uh, 
when we first started role playing, like in Marvel and things like that, we would do these things where we would fight, you know, like the Incredible Hulk or whatever. We would fight these teams and, you know, be like, oh, they're not so tough. My character's way stronger. And it's just because of the way the game system works. But well, yeah, and we were like 14 also. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean yesterday. <laughs> As far as established characters, though, I kind of don't, I tend to not like to use established characters because when you use them, I don't know, everybody has an expectation. It's just like when they added Luke to the end of uh, 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 the Mandalorian. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. I, I I like it just fine that they put Luke in there. I, I thought it fit. I mean, Luke- No, not the character use. I'm not meaning that didn't fit. But then you have this weird face thing. It kind of worked for Tarkin. I didn't feel like it worked as well for Luke or Leia, for that matter. Yeah, well, they, they, well yeah, I mean, they, they, the technology is what it is. But but you don't have to deal with that in the gaming setting. But I think that the way that they did handle it well in the... Um, the way that they did handle it well in The Mandalorian is Luke showed up and left. You know, it was a cameo. He was in yeah. there real quick and out real quick. Um, but then they also brought in Boba Fett. Boba Fett is definitely an established character, but now he's part of the show. And I think he's got his own spinoff coming up here too. So but, but having someone really like an established that, character, um, he's always been a touch. Yeah, that's but, what I was going to say. He's an established character, but how many lines of dialogue does he have? What do you know about his past? What's he look like under the helmet? You know, there's really not a whole lot that was done with that guy. Now they're opening up a chance to make him a main character. So what they kind of did was took a character that was designed as a backdrop and then made him something a lot more. Um, Boba Fett, although he's a huge fan favorite, mm -hmm. what did he really do in the first couple of movies? You know, he even into Return of the Jedi. Yeah, even in Return of the Jedi, he basically showed up in the intro scene and got killed. Um, as far as what you could tell, you apparently not. Not. yeah, apparently not. Well, yeah, but the, yeah and they're totally they doing a spinoff like Max is saying yeah. here. That's that's so, what they're doing with all of these things, I think. So that covers NPCs it, it showing up real quick, but also as a reoccurring character. So the Boba Fett one is an NPC who is a canon character who is reoccurring. Isn't it isn't there a whole thing about the every character in the um uh, what's that? Um, the also that's the campaign. Yeah, that all of them have like major backstories that have been written about. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. was that was there when basically anybody could send a dime to, to George Lucas and then had permission to write a novel. There was just stacks and stacks of novels, and they've since, I guess, been reclassified as Star Wars legends. And some of them have then uh, reappeared in the cartoons and such. Admiral Thrawn came from a trilogy written by uh, Timothy Zahn. Um, and and some of those books were fantastic, and most of them were not. <laughs> but some some of them were really really good. And if I were to find a you know a copy or a copy of a full trilogy, I'd probably go back and read them again. Because what do I care if Disney says that they're canon or they're legend? If they're good stories, then then read them. Um, yeah. As, as far as if you're playing a game, what you decide to make uh, canon and what you decide not to make canon really depends on. The nature of the game let's say for example you had an idea where you're going to do kind of um 
like a, a Jedi Academy where where it's you know some few years after uh, Return of the Jedi and Luke has now gathered up a bunch of Force potential teenagers, and so you have kind of a he's kind of the Professor X. Another important question about the Star Wars rules: How many different RPGs there are? I don't know for sure, but I do know that West End Games put out two. Yep, there's yeah, that's the second <laughs> edition of West End Games. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. Uh, Wizard of the Coast put out one or two, I think. Yeah, and I, I think there was one for the uh, D20 system. Uh, and, and really, I would say any rule system that is designed to be kind of fast-based, swashbuckling type um, game is going to work great for Star Wars. Anything that's too much into the details and too realistic is not going to work. Um, my my one complaint about the West End games, and I, I I love the rule system. It's it's fast paced. It works really well. Um, we used it for years. Um, it gets a little bit convoluted when it comes to the force powers. It's like if you're going to try to do some force thing, you have to roll this, and then you have to roll this, and you have to roll this to activate each of the different things, and then finally you do this, and it just it bogs it down. Um, if if we were to play using that rule system, I would probably. If, if there were going to be Jedi involved, I would say, can we fine tune and simplify this? And it's it's completely okay, I think, that a lot of game groups do that, where they're like, you know what, this particular rule doesn't work, can we take a vote and we're going to get rid of that? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. House rules on every gaming table are important, whether you're playing Monopoly or playing poker or your role-playing games. Um, homebrews have some real advantages to them. Homebrews are role-playing games that you invent yourself. You put together your own rule system. Um, I believe that Nathan's first exposure to role-playing was flipping coins on a camping trip with a buddy of his, and he yeah. came back and said, I've discovered the greatest thing in the universe, and Ryan and Nathan took off from there. Um, my first gaming system that I played to was... Clarify. We did get a dice at some point. Yeah, it started with that, right? You just need a randomizer, really. A randomizer and something you agree are the rules. Yeah, for, for a while when we had to, to share the one dice between us, that was... That was great. The one we stole from the Monopoly set. I remember you, Yeah, I remember you doing that. Who didn't do that? Uh, I didn't do that. You did that. Oh, well, I did it. Okay, I'm going to ride out on Ryan here. When... when Let's see, you had a driver's license, so you must have been 16 or something like that. And we went to the Goodwill, and Ryan, being the thief that he is, well, like opened up the Monopoly set. And like, there's dice in here, and took him and took himself with the dice. And then later that same day, some little kid was like, Mommy, Mommy, Monopoly. And they bought it, and there was no dice. I think you're and making up the second half of this story. Not the first. Breaking the law, breaking the law. Anyway, a very confused parent was probably robbing their Parcheesi set to get the Monopoly dice. <laughs> well, let's talk time. about character types in Star Wars. So you've got your Jedi, you've got your smuggler, you've got your clone trooper, your stormtrooper, your rebel your soldier. person who's just now traveling for the first time. Yeah, um, your yeah. annoying little kid. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it, well, if you open it up to... Uh, to some of the movies that we bashed on a little bit, you could you you could easily have a cyborg character that's either you know a cyborg like Lobot was, where he's just got the sweet the sweet head thing, or one that's all the way to where General Grievous is, to where he's like a brain and some lungs, and the rest of it's robotic. 
Um, you, yeah, I did. We mention robot characters because obviously we did not droid yeah. characters yeah, like Lando's could, droid. What was her name? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. The one yeah, that, that says a little about the value of the character. None of us can remember the name. <laughs> I don't remember the uh, the character. I just can't remember the name. Yeah, it doesn't um, matter. Anyways, but she's now part of the ship, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you got cyborg characters in, I think it was Phantom Menace, or maybe it was episode two. You had a changeling character. Oh, yeah, character. changelings. I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, Star Wars is supposed to be a, a, a very, very vast, diverse universe i mean you've got you've got your wookies and you've got your jawas and you've got everything in between so um so yeah i mean you can have a character that's powerful because of the force a character that's powerful because of some sort of inherent um racial attributes that he has or because of some sort of technology whether it be a droid or a cyborg um or that's just due to extensive training which i mean i guess you could make the argument that that's kind of what what han was um is just training or or um you know being particularly gifted um and i'm sure there's a whole bunch of other ones that i haven't thought of as well and you've got you know thousands or hundreds of thousands how many planets there's there are in star wars each with a different culture so i mean it's pretty open um and to me that's where the beauty of star wars is is usually if i were to want to play a star wars game i would back up a little bit um you know, I, I probably, you know, the, the farthest on the timeline that it would go would potentially be like right after Return of the Jedi, like we were talking a bit ago about, you know, if you were to put the together. farthest back you would go? The farthest forward I would go. I might oh. have said I might have said it in reverse. Yeah, I mean I, I could I could see there being a good game where where Luke Skywalker is teaching a, a new group of Jedi apprentices and they're going out doing adventures, but you know, they're still they're still pretty low level um but uh for those that are familiar with it back in the was it the 90s that nice of the old republic came out yeah probably about nine, late, 99 maybe 2000 late 90s yeah. uh yeah there, there was a, a video game called knights of the old republic and it was set and it used the d20 that. system yeah um it was set you know what well, maybe thousands of years before a new hope um and so you know it was set in in the old republic um but all throughout the old republic you know the sith rose and fell and all these other different threats came and went um and the reason it was a good game is because it, it was set up and designed like a role-playing game with distinct characters um and so for for a video game it was fantastic it did a good job of that it's it's not the same as actually playing with your buddies because i mean it's a railroad <laughs> because the technology forces it to be written in a certain way. And maybe you come to a part where it's like, you know, choose this or choose this. And 2003. Okay. It's, yeah. Yeah. It was a little bit later than I thought. Um, and it may be that uh, some people, if they were to go and play it now, younger people, they might not get it. Um, well, there's a whole MMOR, MM, whatever, multi a World of Warcraft version of it that's out right. Right now, that uh, that's been going on, I think, since uh, been out there for a while, I believe. Yeah, it's been going for a long time, and I don't know much about it. I know it exists. But that's yeah. about it. 
yeah, I, I, I have never played that one. Um, no, me neither. But the thing I liked about KOTOR is it was a different setting, but very recognizable Star Wars. Um, one of my favorite things, though, that uh, that we have done in the past, Maverick, let's let's talk about some of our funnest moments role playing in Star Wars. So I have my standard issue character that I've played for many years, uh, pretty much amalgamation of uh, Dirk Benedict's characters. So you got Face Man, you've got Starbuck, and I used to call him Buckstar. Huh? It's, it's just two characters. <laughs> you yeah, said that, all characters like there's a, a wide. Well, he was also in some weird thing that, with a shark, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't remember what that was called, Shark Boy or something. I don't know. Well, I mean, anyways. Obviously, that one also plays a, a heavy role in, in your <laughs> very yourself. heavy role. Anyways, getting on with a heavy role, I, I decided that everybody was getting on me for playing buckstar in every game we ever played so i decided to make a new character so i made a rotund uh black man um and played that for a while and, and tried to do that but it was it just wasn't buckstar and i just i couldn't i couldn't be buckstar in, in with this character and so i decided it was just a big suit so one day he just unzipped it and stepped out and he was buckstar <laughs> That may sound offensive, but it really oh, wasn't. version of the Buckstar <laughs> character was the 40-year reunion Buckstar. He was like out of shape and still trying to mack on the high school ladies. All right, all right, all right. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older, they stay the same age. Just... He was yeah. a bad man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one thing that really worked out well with that character though or that's starting to take shape with that character because you've written him into a novel at this point not uh, him indirectly that wasn't him no i just threw that in at the end just for fun okay so <laughs> it was at the end of the novel it was the zipper suit essentially no no there was the no zipper character suit of the, the story at the end of the novel is revealed to be this character that ryan has gamed in the past but <laughs> Uh, the character had some tremendous uh, disadvantages. He had addictions, and um, uh, anyway, he was a horrible person. But that allowed for development. He was a horrible and person. In the course of the development, he was yes, he was a horrible person. He was doing drugs and blowing off his job. It, not a not a not the kind of guy you'd want to be buddies with, right? Um, but through the course of the story he was able to overcome some of those problems uh, and develop new ones. Um, so there was character development in there and it made it an intriguing character. It was a good, it was a good book. I enjoyed it. Um, but by the time I, by the time he got to the end and he was revealed as Buckstar, the, this character that we've all kind of uh, been around for 20 plus years now at this point, um, the, that reveal was, was interesting. It was like, it gave some flavor to the old, uh, to the old character that we had seen before that hadn't been there before. So, um, and I think that's one of the things that really works well in a role-playing game system. If you do have the opportunity to play with a group that's willing to do the long game, you know, the short game is the one-off. You, 
hey, everybody, you're the guys from Star Wars Episode Four. We're going to play that movie. So then you play that movie, and at the end of it, you go, oh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. You know, I'm not going to ever do it again, but that was a lot of fun. Next week, it's Indiana Jones, because we like Harrison Ford, right? So if you're playing with that group, Wait, which you just change, if you just change every time, then I then a one-off game is great and everything, but you, you might be missing, you are missing out on an opportunity. If you have an established group of players and you're able to play for an extended period, and when I say extended period, some of that's going to depend on how frequently you play, but this could be, a, this could be you know, upwards of a half a decade plus um, to be able to build a game world. Um, as, you, as you construct the characters, if you build them at a low level, um, I think Luke Skywalker on Tatooine, right? Um, Luke Skywalker on Tatooine was not the same person that he was when he got to Yavin 4 at the end of the first movie. He was also not the same person that he was when he started Empire Strikes Back or when he finished that or when he started Return of the Jedi or when he ended up on Endor. You know, the there were a lot of things that happened with that character throughout the course of that time and unfortunately afterwards. But the... Uh, <laughs> But during that course, the development that happened uh, between, um, between the, the concept of what Luke Skywalker was initially supposed to be and what Mark Hamill did to that character and what George Lucas encouraged him or discouraged him from doing um, and, and others. You know, there's a, there was a scene in one of the movies where um, they, in Empire Strikes Back, they get out of, no, A New Hope, they get out of the garbage smashers, right? And there's an interview that Mark Hamill did where he imitated Harrison Ford's voice in the interview. And he was talking about the, what it was like to work with Harrison Ford. And he's getting out of the garbage smasher and he's thinking to himself, you know, hey, I'm, I'm coming out of this mess. I ought to have all this dirt in my hair and everything. And Harrison Ford turns to him and he says something to the effect of, hey, kid, it ain't that kind of movie. If they're looking at your hair, we already failed. There's something along those lines, right? So all of these different influences coming in to that character of Luke Skywalker made that growth happen. That's not something that George Lucas could have predicted. It's not something that the casting crew for that movie could have predicted. Um, and Mark Hamill didn't know it was coming either uh, up until that point. But each of these people ended up learning from each other, playing off of each other, and you develop something that you had never intended on doing that was probably far better and what the original intention was. Yeah, yeah, you, you end up with something. Um, so yeah, if you look at the Luke Skywalker character, he grew both in, in power level and skills and attributes and such, and also as a person. If you look at Han Solo, it's hard to argue that his actual skills changed that much throughout the movies. Yes, his, his personality did. He realized that, that you know he was going to be more than just a smuggler. It was out for himself. Well, he became a general, so I'm assuming he learned how to lead people. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, you could make the argument that his skills improved some but compared to Luke. You know, Luke started out there and just basically shot up, whereas Han may have had a little bit of growth, and likewise, Chewie may have had a little bit of growth, um, but they didn't change that much. And that's not necessarily a thing that translates super well to role playing, having you know. At least it's not done normally. I'm not saying that it would never work. Um, you know, if, if you want to give it a shot, try, you know, go for it. But starting out with, uh, you know, one character. Everyone their thing. 
is pretty competent and stays pretty competent. And another one that starts out low level and then shoots up to where he's higher than the other characters. And you see that a lot in movies and fiction and such. And you see it less in role playing just because of uh, the, the way that the game mechanics are set up. Sometimes you do see it in role-playing games because of the way that the game mechanic is set up. You start out with characters of differing power levels, but as you try to increase a character past certain levels, it gets more and more expensive. So now you get somebody new to the gaming group and they come on board and they have a brand new starting character. They haven't been playing for three years with the rest of the group. They're just there this week. Okay. Now that person's power levels are significantly lower, but this person ends up saying, hey, you know what? I really enjoy this. And as it turns out, they are at an age or in a position in their life where they're able to play more frequently than some of the more established characters. Now that person, point for point, having been rewarded after every adventure. Sorry. What was that? Regularly. I clicked something and it popped up and started making noise again. I apologize to everybody. Why don't we get comment from the top there, Mark? The rule system sometimes allows uh, an exuberant new character to quickly catch up with long-standing player characters. Um, that's where you see somebody like Han Solo, who, if you look at him in Moss Lysley Cantina, he gives every impression that he's been doing this for a while. And he's, he's kind of, he knows his stuff. He's been around the block. Later on in, in some of the other scenes that were added later or it had been cut, but were added later with Job of the Hut, he's got that established relationship with the hut that he's dealing with. Um, the bounty hunters all know who this guy is. He's got a reputation. So that's an established character. Luke Skywalker just got off the farm. You know, he thought he was going to be picking up some power converters with his buddies down at Tashi Station or wherever it was. So uh you know, he, he can fix a moisture evaporator, and I think he's pretty good with a T-16 Skyhopper. Other than that, the kid's a loser, and he whines too much. He never that, did that's that. That's probably one way to look at it. But uh, on the other hand, if you were going to run Star Wars, let's say you found three people out there that had never seen Star Wars. They didn't plan on watching it. They exist. And you're like, okay, I'll run them through the Star Wars thing. And you assign those characters to them they would all be starting level characters. Unless you wanted to go through the trouble of saying, okay, you're going to play Han Solo, so we're going to start six months in advance <laughs> and get your character ready. And if you're going to do that, then what are you going to do with the Obi-Wan character? Yeah. Well, but see, so, that's actually a really good point. And part of the reason why that group works so well, uh, besides chemistry, is because you have the veteran characters mm-hmm. that are on different different side so luke is bigger ages bigger experience right he sees them both as somebody to learn from and you have the benevolent obi-wan who was never benevolent as far as the prequels say and then you have Han solo who shoots first you know you have that kind of character but they are experienced i mean obviously obi-wan very experienced and in completely different things than than uh, Han Solo, but you could create the characters and say, okay, you have more points to spend because you're creating an older character. Um, and then the newer character is younger. I'm going to give you a couple bonuses, you know, which he had. He, he was a bullseye shot and uh, a, an excellent pilot. Well, and you could also argue that he had some sort of game mechanic that basically gave him experience points faster. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, probably so- some kind of force 
learning right. thing I don't know. Right. So so yeah, I mean you could feasibly start with them all as as player level characters. Um even even Leia had more skill points than Luke. Yeah, I think so. Um but and and then yeah, then the question comes up um you you know, which ones are NPCs? Are R2 and C3PO, are they NPCs or are they player characters? No, I'm going to make the players play them. Okay, cool. And cool. then everybody else will be NPCs. That sounds good, too. Yeah. <laughs> what's that, uh, what's that, uh, Gilderhus? Um, Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are dead. Rosencrantz and Gildenstern, that's fantastic. Yeah, see, that's basically uh, the droids. Yeah, there, there was a... Um, was it Jackson Binks are yeah. dead? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there was a there was a Star Wars version of it. Um, yeah. All right, so uh, why don't we talk a little bit about um, resources? I mean, okay. obviously, where to find just, crap? Yeah, you can go on the internet. You can easily find you know type in spaceship, and you'll find a whole bunch of pictures. Of <laughs> have an actual Google is your site. friend, right? Okay, so we've covered that. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Um, it's already established. Probably... It's yeah. been established in Star Wars that you can pull in material from other genres too. Uh, they put ET in the Senate building. Um, so if there is something that you enjoy in a different kind of universe, pull it in. Uh, figure out a way to make it fit. Clear it with the other GMs if there are any. Clear it with the players if you're the only GM. Um, but just let them know, you know, hey, I'm, I'm bringing this in here. Um, it's not too hard to make other science fiction fit. Um, so, yeah. Go uh, but I would make the, the uh, I would add to that, make sure that it does fit the overall Star Wars feel. Um, you know, bringing, bringing an ET character or an ET like alien and having them over there in the corner, that's fine. It doesn't hurt anything. It's a, a little cameo. Um, you know, having a cyborg character fits really fine in Star Wars. That's not a problem at all. Um, having a Doctor Who character in Star Wars, maybe you're getting a little bit, <laughs> a little bit out into left field at that point. Yeah, and there's really no time travel in Star Wars. Well, there or dimensional travel for that matter. There, there is in in uh, one of the cartoons that's touched on briefly and done in a certain way that it kind of made sense but outside of that it was in rebels oh that's right mm, yeah, yeah, okay. went inside the force or something yeah, like that yeah you know, another spot. yeah when they go in that in that temple thing yeah 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 okay. yeah and that's about as far as i would go with with time travel and star yeah. personally um if you're going to introduce something like that <laughs> make sure everybody is on board with it if and really, that goes for any game. If you're going to introduce something that drastically changes the whole nature of the universe, make sure that's what you want to actually do. And that was one of my complaints um, about the the uh, sequels, uh, 7, 8, and 9, is they kept on introducing all of this technology. It's like, wait, what? What? That's not how that works. That never worked like that. How come it's suddenly like that? Um, the, the classic example being when uh, Admiral... I'm sorry, what? Go ahead. Oh, when Admiral Holdo um, used the hyperspace thing to cut another ship in half when we, yeah. you know, if if you can do that, then why don't they just strap hyperdrives onto missiles? 
and use them to blow up plants <laughs> or, or the or the bombers. So it's a good segue for for talking about the technology in Star Wars and how it relates to your gaming group. Um, some people think a lightsaber can cut through anything and that you turn it on and it just stays on forever and never runs out of batteries. But apparently it has a power source. And if you watch the movies, they frequently fail to cut through things or it takes more time to cut through something that's not an automatic thing. Um, but you're, you need to have a conversation with your gaming group if you're gonna play in Star Wars about what their expectations are about the technology. Um, can a starship going into hyperdrive cut another spaceship in half? No. Um, can you be in a cargo hold in the Millennium Falcon and hyperspace out of it without opening the door? Can you go into hyperspace and go through the, the, you know, if there's a space station here and then the space station has a tunnel through it, can you point the ship at the tunnel and hyperspace out through that tunnel? You know, these are all conversations you're going to have to have. Maybe. Um, Stormtrooper armor. That's a very serious thing to do. So I'm it, okay it, with that. Well, they, they did it in Rebels. Um, they did it. But they did all those other things in the other movies, and maybe it's good, maybe it's not. You know, that's that's going to be different depending on who your gaming group is. Um, handling handling traditional technology alongside Star Wars technology. There's a there's a story about someone uh, that that I heard who was writing a Star Wars novel, and in one of the statements in in a line of dialogue in the novel he said that he was going to hit someone with a hammer fist and the, that went back to the editors and they said the editors told this person you have to change that to a hydro spanner they don't have hammers in star wars well that's retarded that's that's ridiculous right that's not that's not the right way to do that situation right it's an incorrect method of approach because obviously a hammer is the most basic it's a stick with a rock on the end of it. And right? I saw the Ewoks had hammers, or maybe yes, they were they did, but yeah. they were an awful lot like stone hammers to me. Right. So you know, the, having the conversation about what technology you're letting in and what you're not letting in is helpful. Um, well, Nathan every honest. time plays in Star Wars tries to use a gun that shoots bullets. Uh, blasters Hold are available. On. Go ahead. Firearms have not been invented yet. This is in a galaxy far, far away <laughs> a long time ago. Firearms have not been invented. But Lando Calrissian is referred to as using a slug thrower, and it's described just like a pistol and, uh, in those. And I, it may have been in one of the prequels, I think the uh, the Tuscan Raiders, the Sand People, were using one of those. And they're, they're referenced in um, multiple game game books um role-playing game books and in some um video games and i think in some novels as well i mean it's it's a pretty obvious idea <laughs> yeah. i just I have the conversation on what you expect the technology to be uh, one of the game systems said that stormtrooper armor was immune to projectile weapons other than blasters so they're referring to like bullets um knives uh, immune to you know, arrows, that sort of thing. Um, okay, so if you're going to go with that, great. Um, hopefully your game system includes some kind of a point value to the armor, um, advantages and disadvantages to it. Uh, Alex isn't here today. Uh, he's one of our fine geezers. Um, but one of the th comments that he's made is that stormtroopers are tremendously accurate. 
but they there are plot reasons why they were missing and the plot reasons were things like they were told to herd the people to a certain area you know something like that um and then uh, also the the idea that the helmets are impossible to see out of in some of the cartoons and in the Mandalorian, you see the use of heads-up displays inside the helmets. Uh, Luke Skywalker is not a trained stormtrooper and didn't know how to turn the display on. Uh, I think also that's a short, very fair so maybe the helmet didn't fit him. Yeah, maybe his, maybe the eyeballs were up here, you know, or that or the display wasn't uh, aimed at his eyeballs if it was a like a laser to the eye kind of display. On the other hand, Han probably should have known how to do it. Um, because he and was a stormtrooper. Well, I don't think we saw him in actual stormtrooper armor. We just saw him like in the gray imperial. Yeah, he just got. Well, regardless, on solo, you could totally see him just not telling Luke, right? Yeah, <laughs> I can't see anything in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so, actually, one well, of my favorite, one of my favorite things, it was this cartoon comic thing. Anyways, like a far side looking comic, but it wasn't far side. But it had a stormtrooper and a Cylon. And the Cylon says, You think you have trouble aiming? Try aiming with your <laughs> eye going back and forth. <laughs> or something. Oh, uh, uh, Cylons, the Knight Rider stormtrooper. Yeah, they're the best. Um, yeah, so armor, it should have some ability. Obviously, in the movies, it's a um, more of a slapstick violence. So in the originals, so stormtroopers go down fast. Um, yeah. That's just the way it was written. Is same thing with the Nazis and and uh, in Indiana Jones. They go down pretty fast too, um, because it's an adventure. So if you're going to have your characters wear armor, don't make it weak like stormtrooper armor <laughs> seems to be. And uh, if you're going to have your stormtroopers wear armor, which you should because they're stormtroopers, um, <laughs> you can decide whether or not. It makes more sense for cinematic purposes to make them fall like dominoes or if you need to have a little bit tougher. The weakness of the armor may also be overstated too. Um, it could be a perception. You see a stormtrooper get shot point blank with a blaster and they go down. It, we don't see the scene afterward where the medic shows up and pulls apart the armor and the guy's got a two inch hole in his chest instead of a hole straight through his chest. You know, We don't, we don't get to see what would have happened if he hadn't been wearing the armor. If it had just been hit point blank with a blaster and no armor at all, his, his torso might have been gone. We don't know. Um, we see them blow huge chunks of rocks out of walls and whatnot. Um, and yet they can't seem to take a ship out of the air ever. Well, so my my understanding about um, actual armor war in uh, World War One and World War Two, which was mostly just helmets. Um, black. By, huh? And, 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 and black vest. Um most of those things would not stop a, a direct shot from the, the rifle rounds that they were using at the time. The rifles were, were too powerful. Um, what they would stop is if a piece of artillery hits you, a bunch of rocks falling on you, you're not going to get knocked out. You're, you're not going to get wounded or killed by a stupid rock falling on your head. <laughs> Grapnel is not, not necessarily going to kill you. It might. But it's not necessarily. Yeah, it, yeah it, it very well could, but it does not have the velocity that a rifle round. Yes. If, if if you look at Star Wars, there's a lot of stuff flying around. Um, you can be injured by by basically just some debris and such. And so, if That's you're a, that if you're that worried about justifying why they're wearing armor, 
um, there's a lot of reasons, and that's one of them from real life. You know, they they're wearing armor not to protect against direct shots, but from all the other stuff that is flying around on a battlefield. Likewise, there is something to be said for, you know, there's these big scary guys that all look the same that are wearing all white and they just keep coming. You shoot one, he falls down, the rest of them keep coming. They don't bother to stop. Um, you can't even tell if the guy that you took out is really gone because you don't get to see his face. Yeah, so yeah, there, there's a, a whole psychological element to it. There's the other psychological element of if you're a stormtrooper, you're part of a team, you know, where all this, where these elite guys and this is our special elite uniform. And then also it's just, it's just cool. And the fact is, if you're playing Star Wars, if you start pulling on those threads to try to make everything realistic, it's going to unravel pretty fast. Because you know what's more efficient than uh, having like a a car that hovers around is wheels. <laughs> and, and and that can, you know, and, and actual projectile weapons are far more efficient than an energy weapon is according to to, to the math but it's not the, the most powerful uh weapon that there is they have massively powerful lasers for cutting but they use so much power and a railgun doesn't well and you, it, even in the case of armor you know anybody could be wearing stormtrooper armor theoretically right so why did none of the rebellion wear it why did none of the rebellion soldiers have it apparently they were just shipboard uniforms for the most part that they had on but what about the droidicas uh, that we saw back when uh, the Clone Wars and whatnot, the, the destroyer droids, they had private energy shields. They were not particularly large robots. Um, so why don't we see a bunch of people walking around with those energy shields? The, why is it that the only soldiers that we see using personal energy shields are the Gungans? You would think they would not be the ones smart enough to come up with that. And no, let's be fair. The Gungans weren't all stupid. Jar Jar was stupid, and the yeah. King guy was kind of stupid. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of the, the classic example that you see when um, you have one member of a species or a group, he comes to represent the entire group. That being said, I'm not in love with Gungans, any of them at all. But, weird frog but, people. But whatever. Um, yeah, there, there's nothing to imply that other than Jar Jar and Boss Nast, the rest of them might... But why did they have the energy shield and no one else did? Yeah, right? yeah that's a good so The culture had something going for them. They had the brains to use an energy shield. Um, why Why was the technology in the droidica only in the droidica? Well, that's because the writers just did that. It doesn't make any sense. It's a no, plot. They're plot devices. And right. I think that I'm all in favor in... If you are playing Star Wars, Star Wars is all about um adventure and speed and it's just a fantastic story so there's no need to make too much looking at what's real what's not real but, you but know what, what could really work what could really not work you're supposed to have fun with it there are yeah, hard science when, you're, when your character it. says you know what i'm gonna have one of these gordica shield bubbles um it's a backpack mount yeah and the answer is cool go ahead and do that uh, let's look for a, a second at how they were portrayed in the uh, in the sequels and in the Clone Wars and whatever else they were featured in. And in general, it seems like when those shields come on, they start moving real slow. So whether it be a power drain or a slow, I mean, so like anything else, if you're giving somebody a huge advantage, 
there might there may be a downside to it just for for game balance purposes. Otherwise, everybody would be using them. Yeah. Uh, it may be that it has to be fixed to a specific uh, position. Um, one of the one of the things that was brought out in the cartoons is that they could roll they could slowly roll a grenade uh, through the shield, but anything fast moving would trigger the shield. Right. Um, so there there might be things like that involved. Um, it's also possible that they are being used by other people, but not as energy shields in that context. On Hoth, when uh, Han stuffs Luke inside the Tauntaun, he says he has to get the shelter built, right? Well, you see him pulling out a couple of rods and sticking them in the snow. It didn't look like a pop tent, you know? He was putting up some kind of an energy barrier, perhaps, or maybe he was just laying out his tools to, to tunnel into the snow. They never did clarify how he made it through that storm. But there's a good chance it was a little energy shield, portable energy shield, emergency pack. So uh, being where they were, uh, it may have made sense for them to bring something like that along. It came in handy. Well, and, and again, looking, oh, looking at um, real life military examples, the uh, most uh, United States military, if they're going into combat in modern day, they're wearing a, a fair amount of armor um, compared to, you know, going all the way back probably to the late Middle Ages. Um, they're probably wearing more personal armor now than anybody did in the, in the time in between. The United States does that. Some of the other uh, richer countries do. Most of the countries in the world don't. They might have a helmet um, because cost. <laughs> it's expensive yeah. to produce these things. Um, and Although, that, look that, at that. Police have them, too. Police are probably more <laughs> better armed and armored than uh, World War II uh, <laughs> soldiers were. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's probably true. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so in, in Star Wars, technology doesn't seem to progress quite as fast in general, and I'm okay with that. Um, because otherwise you are going to get into the thing where it's suddenly a completely different game. And, it, and again, if you want to do that, that would be an interesting exercise. It might be fun to do. But make sure that your group is on board for, you know, we're going to be playing Star Wars, but we're going to push this thing. If you want to play crunchy Star Wars, play crunchy Star Wars, but you're going to find a lot of it will fall apart. It will. Very quickly. Especially uh, space, uh, space travel. <laughs> I mean, don't even talk about, you know, hyperspace. But as we have been reminded many a time, that's not the way spaceships really would really work. No, not yet. Physics no, does not no, work nothing, that way. Nothing about it is. They they don't make sound when they go through space. No, nothing uh, they can can't hear you turn, scream. Can't turn that fast. There have been um, other shows that have progressively gotten a little bit more realistic. Yes. Uh, yeah, Battlestar Galactica got a little bit closer, and I think The Expanse has gotten a little bit closer, yes. and some other shows. Um, Firefly was a little bit closer, but none of them are still realistic they're, they're still all you still need the plot moving and if you do too much then you end up with um silent running right or, and or if you're in a star wars setting if you're going to play in a star wars setting embrace what you're doing you know the ship does bank in space because that's what they do a tie fighter passes by you hear it call it the magnetic resonance off of the twin ion engines whatever or just uh, don't worry about it go with it yeah, you're gonna have to matter? just not address that this is not a hard science fiction type of of series um that's not the genre there there is something though that i think we need to make sure that we we at least touch on um 
especially if you're working with a gaming group that you're not real super familiar with and don't have a lot of history with, um, is the use of the force. You know, some people are are just in love with the idea that the metachlorians are microscopic life forms and they, they communicate with some kind of a magnetic field or something out there. Mark. Um, what's that? <laughs> what did you say? <clears throat> Mark. He was saying that you're that guy. Oh, okay. Um, I don't much care either way, to tell you the truth. Um, but the, there is the there is the other side. Um, uh, in fact, my older brother is very, very tied to the idea that midichlorians was a stupid idea um, because it, it took away a lot of the uh, almost uh, spiritual side to the force. But a gaming group is going to have different opinions on that kind of thing. You know, one one group of people might have a really strong religious background that uh, doesn't allow them to um, deal with things that's more of a magical kind of a setting. And you need to have that conversation with them before you start touching on some of those things. You don't want to end up uh, damaging your friendships you don't want to end up forcing somebody's conscience in a direction they don't want to go um so just have the conversation early on there's a lot of different ways that you can go with the star wars setting you can go full-on technical with it um you know there's strong nuclear force weak nuclear force electromagnetism okay yeah. so they have those different types of energy fields out there you yeah. can just say force is an energy field you know right. th that's an option uh, you don't have to understand the science just say it's science and just throw it in there, right? And that's that's dependent on your gaming group. Uh, Nathan, not you. No, it's me. Ryan. No. Okay, I'll go ahead. Why am I calling on you guys? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so there's the old uh, the old saying that in a in a monster movie, the monster is scarier the less of the monster that you see. Yes. Um, and and that, that's generally true if you look at like uh, you know the original Alien movie or or a bunch of you know, a bunch of other movies from that time, it was too expensive for them to show a, a realistic monster. They didn't have CGI. And so they had to show it really fast. And then as- uh, uh, Really poor lighting. Right. And, and as technology progressed, they're like, yeah, we can show more of the monster. And it got less scary. <laughs> and and it, it's true, of, I think, of the force as well. The more that you go to explaining it, the less that it makes sense, the less kind of, wondrous i guess it, it feels and, and then it's like well wait it can it do this can it do that and so instead sometimes it's better to leave that stuff blank but of course the longer a universe goes the more people are going to try to explain it and um star wars at this point is getting to be kind of you know it's been around for a while um and it's got a whole lot of contradictions in itself so you know like mark was saying um before you start playing Consider those contradictions and decide where you're going to come down on them in this game. That doesn't get your gaming group on the same page. Right. You know, yeah. so long as you're, you're all playing in Star Wars, okay, well, great. That's step one. Which Star Wars? Right. Right. So okay. th that's where you have that conversation. Uh, for instance, um, are there such a thing as good Sith? Right. Hold on. Hold on. So you've got this discipline that's played off as the bad guys. You're, you're moving right? past my comment. We're doing a comment. It's hilarious. Is it? Is very funny. I'm going to delete you. Anyway, so... Um, You're funny. I'm going to delete it. <laughs> no, um, no, this is what I was going to say. So if you look at... Star Wars was a giant leap forward, right? We all know that. There's nothing quite like that. But when you look at it, you can directly see his influences. You see that it was the serials. They was watching World War II um, footage as well. You know, the dogfights, things like that. 
he pulled all these things. So when you're looking at it, you know that you're looking at monster movies. You're looking at these Saturday morning cereals, uh, not not the kind you eat. But and yeah, like Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers. Yeah, yeah, those those guys go way back. Yeah, and the radio dramas and all of these things that were um, a very specific way of telling a story, and that's what he did. Is he took that and created a a space opera from that, and that's what yeah. was so powerful. It's because when you have the monsters, they're absolutely horrible, hideous monsters. Uh, the bad guy's absolutely horrible, hideous bad guy, until he's not. Yeah. <laughs> See, he did a little different, but but that kind of thing is what makes it so fun. Is it's just good and bad constantly. There's no, there's not a lot of middle. Right. There's a there's a skill that George Lucas had. Um, and it's it's demonstrated well in the construction of the Death Star at the end of A New Hope when they when he uh, when he took a couple of t- uh, what were they ping pong tables in the desert and he cannibalized a million battleships and he built this Death Star and, and drove past it in a jeep and threw firecrackers on it and that's the X wings crashing right so uh, he had this ability to reach out and grab all these different source materials and meld them together into one universe that's why star wars is so fantastic for a sandbox game it's why it's such a good game to play with a diverse group of people because everybody in that group can find something that they enjoy um and the universe is built that way you know if you took uh buck rogers spaceship and you look you set it beside an a-wing starfighter from star wars the influence is pretty clearly there you know they're very similar um, starships so he was pulling his resources from a lot of different places and it worked out great which is why that universe works for a gaming system Uh, we we aren't done playing our star wars games as a group ourselves and when did we start playing star wars games together it would have been pretty early on because oh i bought that book i don't know how many years ago uh, I'm pretty sure that I've played Star Wars with you guys within the first year of my starting a game with you. Oh, yeah. And that was probably, probably around 94, 95. Um, yeah, I think it was 1995 when, when I first started uh, gaming with you guys. Was the uh, book uh, was the book comb bound at that point or was it loose? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. The, the, the book became somewhat damaged. Yeah, <laughs> they, they don't. Very quickly, they don't if I remember three. right. <laughs> it, it was a hardbound book Hard, okay that's my biggest pet peeve about books hardbound books do not hold together and they're the most expensive it is so frustrating when they only release release, release, release a hardbound book so quit doing that game <laughs> like yeah my my six-year-old when he found it he was probably five when he found this book um he was digging through my stuff and he sat down and he just started turning through the pages and he looks at me and he's like, this is a beautiful book. <laughs> and and it, it really is. Um, it's, it's a fantastic book. And, and we, we talked a little bit earlier about, um, about Rebels and Clone Wars and the guys that were doing those. Um, they talked to their, their writers and their special effects people and they're like, you know, get a hold of all of this West End game stuff and look at that. This is going to be kind of our sort of life. And the reason they did that is after after the last of the original Star Wars came out, so after Return of the Jedi came out, there wasn't a lot of other material for for a good 10, 15. I'd have to look it up to know for sure. But for 
for probably 15 or so years, there was no more really Star Wars stuff. There had been a couple of novels that were written. I think there was um, like a, a Han Solo prequel trilogy that somebody wrote, although that might have even been, it, it wasn't bad. It was, it was, it was all right. I read the first book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I read it again probably 10 years back and it was entertaining. It was, a, it was all right. Um, but other than that, and then there might have been one or two others, there was almost nothing. And then they came out with this, and all the guys that were into Star Wars that were able to get work as artists and everything, they started pouring, pouring all their Star Wars ideas into this. And so you ended up, um, and this was the only Star Wars game that was out there for quite a span. And then, of course, they did eventually go out of business because that's what happens <laughs> to every gaming company. Right. Yeah, because there's, well, I mean, first of all, how many game systems have, have we as a group written? <laughs> I mean, the, the, the money isn't. I, I started mentioning that what, you guys started with the flipping of the coin in the tent, uh, and then Nathan brought that to Ryan, I believe, and, and you guys. I wasn't up. in a tent with Nathan. I, I started gaming early enough that there were still only four character classes in Dungeons and Dragons, and I actually was around uh, during the time period when uh, Chippendale's Rescue Rangers was going on, uh, Tailspin, um, and made role-playing oh, yeah. homebrews to play all of those. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had a role-playing oh, yeah. system, far darker than the cartoon ever was. Well, I, I think yeah. that the cartoon was based on a comic, which was pretty dark, and the comic was ripped off from Daredevil. Um, because Daredevil had a, a group of enemies called the Hand, um, and then huh. and then they came up with the Foot Soldier. And I think that uh, yeah, if I remember right, Daredevil had like a mentor character named Stick, and so that's where they came up yep. with Splinter, as he was a broken piece of a stick. <laughs> um, and so they, I mean, that's not the only place they pulled material from. But uh, I mean, again, it's coming back to like we were talking about with George Lucas. He was pulling this stuff from Flash Gordon, and and Buck Rogers and World War II films and um, so a lot of samurai film influence as well. Um, Seven Samurai. Yeah, and then he did this, he did the same sort of thing with uh, with Indiana Jones. It was King Solomon Mines and you know a lot of the early adventure serials um, of that type because there was a lot of them. Um, and we all do that when when we're creating something. We look around and we're like, I like this and I like this and this and I'm going to jam these things yeah. together. If you're a clever game master, you'll listen for those influences from your players too. You know, you pay attention to what they seem to be trying to do and take that as your inspiration, you know, build something off of that. There's a, there's a life lesson that says, uh, if you, um, if you want to, if you, let's see, how's this go? Let's come back around to it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The, the lesson is, uh, if you really want to ha- be happy, um, quit trying to look out for your own interest. When you look at something, when you start looking for someone else's interest, you're going to get, you're going to do better. The more someone else's you can add to that, looking out for them, you'll be even happier. But if you try to build a universe, now this applies for role playing. If you try to build a universe centered on yourself, you'll end up in a universe alone. And, so, and you're going to play in it anyways. Because, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's the old classic thing where we all, 
make the game world or we we put together a world and like yeah i'm gonna run this game for everybody and that's the game that we wanted to play and the other people are less excited about it Uh, and instead maybe try to go to your your buddy who's putting together a thing and say this is what i want to play right here you know read this novel watch watch this show and then jam those things together and that's what i'm looking for they still won't quite get what's in your head but they'll come up with something that maybe is better when the when the two of you work on it together of course the more people you add into that the more complicated it becomes um so you're gonna have yeah. a lot more fun if the people that you're playing with are allowed to have some creative influence on what you're doing absolutely if you start looking for what they're looking for as you start seeing them succeed um you're you get to see their enjoyment um that does succeed does not necessarily mean win right? Let them lose. (laughs) Let them lose. If that's what they're trying to do, let them succeed, right? Um, But but in succeeding, succeeding in the context of role-playing means you're having a good time, right? That it's a provocative story. Um, There was something funny that happened. You know, if the person's playing Star Wars and their only real reason for doing it is because they want to have a lightsaber battle on a catwalk, well, okay, you're in the right future. It's a great place to go do that, right? Yeah, but tell sure. the game master so that he can set something up. You know, um, as a game master, if you're uh, wanting to put together a Star Wars universe because there was some scene in some movie that was so wonderful and you just want to repeat that, you, you're going to have to work at that. You know, finding that one scene that's going to take time, and th- that takes the long game to build because any scene that's of any value in a movie happened because you became attached to the characters in the scene first. And um, and, and don't miss all of the other awesome scenes that you played in getting up to that yeah because most of those will probably be better than the one that you were going for and that's okay um you know that's great enjoy those other scenes and the one that you thought was going to be awesome might fall right on its face but as long as you had some other ones that were good who cares well one yeah if you end up with a fantastic story that wasn't the one that you planned on playing good job right (laughs) you still got a fantastic story so one of the one of the things that I think Star Wars is particularly awesome about is the storytelling element, um, because every character really has a piece of the story and it's owned by that character. But they're so intermeshed because of the relationships. They could be separate stories altogether, but because of the relationship it pulls it together, I think that that's what makes a powerful uh, role playing uh character party anyways is having that intermeshed and that's one of the things that i've been really focusing on is okay how do how do i create an instant connection it, it, you know how do you do that um, but i heard a podcast uh earlier this week and they were talking about this and i'm like that is an awesome idea they basically said that you let everybody come up with a little bit of their story and then you say okay you guys are together tell me how if then everybody says how they're together. And then it's not you that has come up with it. They came up with it. Well, and, that creates player investment right away. Yep. Well, and, and again, if you if you look at Star Wars, um if you look at the the kind of the principal characters, let's say Luke, Leia, and Han are the player characters and everybody else's NPCs. I mean, you can argue who is or isn't, but for my example, that's how it is going. Um so it starts with Leia, and then she gets captured right off. And then we jump over to Luke, and he does some stuff. And then he meets up with Obi-Wan, who, um, 
and then eventually meets up with Han. And then it's not until halfway through the movie that they get Leia back again. Um, and so if you were to try to run that as a role-playing game, you're going to have people sitting and waiting and not doing stuff. Um, and then as you go through the movie, it's like, um, you know, Han gets frozen in carbonite for a while and Luke goes off to Dagobah and the characters are running all over the place. They're, they're not staying together. Whereas, um, you know, we've, if you've played a game for very long, you've done the thing where you try to split the party or the party tries to split themselves. Yeah. And, or the guy doesn't show up on the next game right. day because they're in the last one. Yeah. So he's and frozen it, in carbonite. Right. Yeah. That's where he belongs. But, right. but splitting the party and then being like, okay, you, you three people wait here in this room. I'm going to go into the other room and I'm going to role play with them for two hours and then I'll come back and I'll role play with you for two hours. It doesn't work. And trying to, instead of two hours, trying to run back and forth and back and forth and do five minutes each. You can do that for maybe a few minutes. You can do it for one battle scene pretty usually. Right. But but yeah, if it goes too much longer than that, it, the game starts to fall. Time for a lightning round? Yeah, definitely time for a lightning round. Uh, go ahead, Nathan. Um, well, now I really want to play Star Wars. Um, <laughs> that's what happened it, it, Star Wars is a fantastic game universe it does come with a lot of perils many of which we've discussed you know because because it's been around for so long and the stories have been told by different people that didn't agree with each other and sometimes even by the same person who didn't go back and consult what he said earlier <laughs> um, and so you have to iron some of those things out but don't get too caught up in the weeds we don't care how a blaster works. We don't care how a lightsaber works. Come up with a couple excuses for a couple of those things. Sure, do it, but don't get too deep into it. It's it's fun. Let it be fun. Matter of fact, you should. I think, especially with like lightsabers or the Force, it's really uh, because it's a fluid system, and it's very obvious it's a fluid system because you know one time they're cutting through a door, and the next time they can't cut through, you know, something that you think well that's thinner well that's just the way it is and as a game master it's all about a plot device yeah i'm sorry you can't cut through that uh, it must be made out of that best metal or whatever you know whatever that stuff's called well whatever that's that thing, take it that thing is expensive yeah that really was actually fairly yeah, I mean, why why you just give us that free door that's lightsaber proof <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd, I'd say that it's important to have the conversation uh, at least initially with the players about what you're trying to accomplish as a game master uh, when you're writing the game. Uh, get the feedback from players. They might even be the reason why you're playing that game. Maybe your player, uh, maybe one of the people in your group said, hey, I want to play in Star Wars, but I don't want a GM. I just want to play in Star Wars. So somebody set me up with the ability to do that. Okay, great. Why? <laughs> why is it that you want to do that? Okay, because I can have you play in Star Wars. It's a beautiful sandbox world. I can have you play in Star Wars over in this little corner that you had no intention of going to. If you want a galactic spanning game with you know intergalactic politics and everything going on, I need to know that now because I was going to put you on Tatooine and the whole game was going to be moisture farming. You know, sand people are scary. So have those conversations. Make sure everybody's on the same page. Boy, howdy, does that sound fun. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it could be. You could have, I mean, maybe not a multi-episode game, but you could have an awesome one-shot game oh, yeah. where 
where you can you have know. definitely multiple episode games. Uh, the first season of Rebels was almost entirely entirely on the fall. No, no, yeah. no, that's fine. On one planet, um, and the enemy that's was fine. much the, the same enemy farming. the whole time. So, right, if but, you're moisture farmers and that's what you're doing, there are ways around that. But find out if that's what they want to do. <laughs> if that's not what your group wants to do, don't write that game. You know, help them out with the control. But I think that that is an important point because when we think of Star Wars, we usually do think of the giant epic universe changing thing. And it doesn't have to be. You could have a fantastic Star Wars story set in the lower quarters of Coruscant that's entirely spy intrigue and you never leave the planet. You never right. even see the light of day. Yeah, and, it, and it would still be Star Wars. It would be fantastic. Um, there might not be any lightsaber duels. There might not be any force users. Um, it could still be great. No, no, it, it, it would still be fantastic. Um, and, and yeah, like you were saying, you could have one set on Tatooine. You probably wouldn't want to focus on the moisture farming, although maybe that's, <laughs> that's the cover base that you're using for your Rebel Cell or something. Sure. Well, no, Nathan, I want you to roll your uh, two six-sided <laughs> die to see how much moisture you got. Seven. And on that note, I'm Ryan. I'm Mark. And I'm Nathan. And this has been Users of the Game. This has been a Geezers of the Game production. If you'd like to support us, please find us on Patreon or buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash geezers.